0: Hello and welcome to Behind the Buyouts, the deals podcast where we sit down with pros from the world of private equity and venture capital and drill down into their deals. Today we're joined by Mark Leader, co CEO and co founder of Sun Capital Partners, Inc. Mark, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure and it's nice seeing you again, Steve. Thanks, Mark. So let's start with the M&A environment right now. There's been some data out that shows that uh, M&A volume is at record levels. We're seeing some buyouts that are really, really, really large out there. The market is very active and prices are high because interest rates are low and financing has been readily available. In the current environment, how are you sourcing deals and finding quality companies to buy at reasonable prices and avoiding overpaying?
1: Well, we're definitely paying reasonable prices and not overpaying. We've always been pretty disciplined. But candidly, no one is getting any bargains nowadays. Fortunately for us, because we have an operationally focused private equity model, anywhere from heavy turnarounds all the way to what we call good to great, which are really fine companies with strong teams that just need to find an extra gear to drive value. Because most of our value is created post-closing, working with great management teams, we're doing well, but it's really post closing, not making money on the buy.
0: Oh, so it's a matter of like what you're going to do to the company to to, to improve it and maybe get some add on deals, and you kind of have to figure in whatever synergies and cost savings you're going to have, and 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 kind of make it from there. Exactly,
1: it, it's all about what you do post closing. If you go back twenty five years, fifteen years, a decade ago, you can make good money on the buy. And then whatever you did post-closing, just add it to your your, your returns. Starting around 2013, prices got expensive. They've stayed that way, even gotten a little bit more expensive. And it's really all what you do post-closing, whether it's finding initiatives that hadn't been considered before by the seller or the management team, add-on acquisitions, as you suggested, consolidating facilities to create efficiencies. Certainly, innovation is important. You can always uh, create value and and drive margins and and sales growth when you innovate.
0: Right. And in terms of Sun Capital, why don't you give us a little rundown of the firm? You've been doing this for 20 plus years now at Sun Capital. And one thing about Sun Capital, it seems like you're always able to find interesting deals, maybe overlooked companies, and and somehow you're able to find the value in there. And that's the challenge as well. It's kind of like going to a garage sale and finding a Fender guitar or something like that, you know? So tell us about Sun Capital and and how you're kind of have an opportunistic approach. To deal making. Sure. So, as you mentioned, we got
1: started 26 years ago, and we found that even back then, private equity was pretty competitive. So, the way we chose to build our business was to do the deals others didn't want to. It really started out with heavy turnarounds, EBITDA negative businesses that were declining rapidly, no management teams. And We found that we could fix these businesses, and we did so by building a large in-house operating team and developing a very well-developed toolkit, which we call the Sun Transformation System. Over time, we found it was actually a lot easier and more lucrative to take profitable companies, growing businesses that were not distressed but could still use some operational coaching support. To go to the next level. And and that's really how our business has evolved over the years, where nowadays, we do the deals others don't want to do. We don't want the absolutely most pristine, perfect businesses, great management teams that have worked together for years. We want things that have got a little bit of a scratch or a dent all the way to a heavy turnaround still.
0: Right, so let's you know I want to emphasize your point here is that you're turning these companies around and making them viable again. You're not just destroying them and laying everybody off. That's not your business model, right? Absolutely true. It's it's really a fallacy of private equity on main street,
1: and it is how the industry started. If you go back 40 years, it was about buying companies at low valuations, breaking them into pieces, cutting costs, cutting capex. That strategy has not worked for decades. This is not a recent phenomena. It's been years and years that private equity firms tend to increase capex, create jobs, build businesses, a lot of add-on acquisitions that are strategic. And that's how you really build value. And that's true of the vast majority of private equity firms, not not just Sun Capital.
0: So Sun Capital is based in Boca Raton. You're originally from the New York area, and then you did your deal making in Boca Raton. But you have a pretty active European office as well. You have the Sun European Partners. And Sun European partners just announced a pretty interesting deal, Dreams, the bedding company is being sold to Temper Sealy International. So tell us about that deal. Sure. So one of our
1: best deals in our history was a company called Mattress Firm. You may be aware of it. It's one of the largest specialty mattress and bedding retailers in the United States. We bought it back, I think around 1999, sold it around 2002, did very well with it. Then we did another deal in foam and mattresses that did very well. So back in 2013, Dreams, which was the largest specialty retailer of mattresses and beds in the UK, filed for administration, and it was at risk of being liquidated, thousands of jobs lost, and we came in and bought it out of administration. In this case, it was a heavy turnaround, it was losing money we had to build the entire management team. In fact, the only person that was there in place when we bought the company was the CFO, who was outstanding and is there to this day. But other than the CFO, there was no one in place. They expected the business to be liquidated and all the key people generally left. So we bought the company in administration, we built a management team, we worked on a strategic plan that basically replicated the playbook we used for Mattress Firm. We reformatted or or refurbished all the stores. We improved the assortment of product. We trained the salespeople to provide a better experience to their customers. We started advertising aggressively once we had the business fixed and we wanted customers to come back to our stores. And the business did great. We took it from losing money to over 50 million pounds of EBITDA and just signed a contract a few weeks ago to sell it, as you said, to Sealy Temper for $475 million. And that was reported. So I'm not sharing anything that's not uh, public right. information available.
0: Okay. And that that's interesting. So you turned it around and, and sold it. What happens in, you know, I, I'm not going to ask you any spe- about any specific deals, but just a kind of a general question for private equity firms. What happens if a private equity firm does have a bankruptcy, or you know, where a company does have to go into Chapter Eleven or something like that, does that like wreck the whole fund? Or how, how does a private equity firm deal with? Because you only have ten or eleven or twelve companies in a fund. If one of them goes out, how are you able to kind of salvage the rest of the fund? I guess if I guess maybe if the other companies are doing really well, you're going to be okay.
1: Companies unfortunately do fail, whether they're public companies founder, family-owned businesses, private equity-owned businesses. Unfortunately, businesses do fail. It, it, It happens. And it's not unique to private equity. So pretty much all private equity firms have had companies that have failed. But hopefully, if the vast majority of your deals succeed, they can offset a small number of losses.
0: Okay, that's good. That's good to hear. And so Sun Capital has been doing a good number of deals in the healthcare sector as well. And you had the recent exit of Clear Choice. So let's talk about Clear Choice and where are you finding opportunities? What did you learn from your experience with Clear Choice that informs your approach to investments in healthcare? Uh, Which I guess you didn't really start out doing healthcare. It's kind of something you picked up along the way. Actually, we
1: formed a healthcare group, a dedicated group about four or five years ago. So people do think we just got into healthcare. Our first healthcare deal was actually 2001. So 20 years ago. The five industry verticals that we're in, healthcare, tech, industrial, consumer, and business services, we've been in for decades. We've been doing deals in those sectors for decades. All that's new is over the last eight or nine years, we've created industry vertical groups with dedicated teams for each of these areas, with healthcare being one that we formed four or five years ago. But healthcare, we've done a good number of deals the last five years. Clear Choice we bought January 2nd of 2018 and we sold it last December like most of our deals we sold it to a strategic buyer Aspen Dental great company should be an outstanding strategic fit for them and when we bought Clear Choice which incidentally is the market leader in providing dental implants all right yeah so this is a staggering figure but over 70 million American adults are missing 10 or more teeth. Oh my gosh. I know, it's shocking. I would have guessed 10% of that, but 70 million plus US adults are missing 10 or more teeth and almost all of them just use dentures because that's all they're aware of as the medical solution. And with dentures, you have to take them out and clean them all night, which is just socially uncomfortable, unpleasant. And even more so, your, your biting capacity is only about 30%. Mm. So it's interesting. Once we bought Clear Choice, a few friends of mine who are healthy, educated, employed mentioned to me that they have indenturalism, which is the disease that causes the loss of teeth. And they asked if I could introduce them to Clear Choice because they didn't know that that solution existed. And it's funny because I thought back into social engagements with these people. And they never ordered anything hard. They would always have pasta or soup.
0: Uh,
1: (laughs) and, And that's how people with that medical infliction tend to deal with it. And it's not about bad dental hygiene. It's genetic. So this company pioneered about a decade ago a process where all three parts of the process to have implants, the, the dental work, the periodontal work, the laboratory work, all is done in one location to really streamline, improve the experience, and lower the cost. And then they started to advertise that they have a much better solution to this medical affliction. And the business took off. The founder sold it to L. Catterton. And there were some changes to strategy that seemed to be good ideas implemented by a new management team that El Catterton brought in, and the business went straight down. So while the ideas seemed to make sense on paper, they did not work well in practice, and the business deteriorated and generated losses. So to El Catterton's credit, and they're an outstanding firm, they, they bought yeah yeah outstanding they brought in a new team who went back to the way the business was run when it was profitable and doing well they then stepped on the gas and the business just took off we were able to buy it because it only had a couple of years of profitability prior which it had 3 years of deteriorating results yeah. ending up with an EBITDA loss so although clear choice is the clear market leader rapid growth in sales and profitability, traditional buyers of healthy growing businesses just weren't interested. The track record wasn't long enough. Yeah, Because we have bought turnarounds historically, and we can really get into the nuts and bolts of a business, we were able to understand this complex five-year roller coaster and get conviction that the mistakes that were made had been fixed and that the business was on a great trajectory. And as a result, we bought it, as I said, in January of 2018, they'd been opening three to four units per year, and they had 39 locations when we bought it. And we felt that they could open 10 or more. So we dramatically staffed up the corporate offices, stepped up the real estate efforts, hired a lot of people, and we started opening up to 10 units per year. So literally... Selling it three years after we bought it, we took it from 39 locations to 61.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, you sold it and you made a decent return on that. So that's interesting. So one of the things we've been looking around about at the deal and listening to m and people and private equity people is they've been trying to figure out, well, COVID is kind of starting to get into the rearview mirror. Some of the businesses that have done really, really poorly are starting to rebound. And so that's kind of like the story of 2021 is the rebound from COVID. How are you thinking about that and how is that sort of affecting your deal making?
1: That, that that's a great question Steve. Buying companies or selling companies, the last 9 months since things opened up third quarter of last year partially it has been very challenging. Let's take it from a buyer's point of view. A small percentage of companies were unaffected. So there's nothing you really need to do out of the ordinary as a buyer. But the vast majority of the businesses fall into one of two categories. Either they were dramatically hurt by COVID for at least the second quarter of last year, often the third and even beyond, or they were dramatically helped by COVID. COVID created some true winners and losers. So let's take the first example. Let's say they were hurt. Sellers are not going to sell or transact and Give up a lot of value because of this once in a century catastrophic event. If they're going to sell today, they want fair value, and there's still a negative COVID impact in their latest 12-month results. And even the next six or seven months are not clear as a blue sky. There's some clouds, you know. Absolutely. Europe is locking back down a bit, so and, and you've got supply chain issues and labor shortages, all kinds of complexities. So as a buyer, you've got to figure out what is a real straight down the fairway adjustment where you will give sellers credit for more EBITDA than they've actually reported. What's even harder is when they were benefited by COVID. Yeah. Because as a seller, they try to downplay or minimize it. I mean, we've seen companies that were making 20 million a year, growing a couple million a year, and all of a sudden they made 70 million dollars last year selling, you know, home improvement products online. Yeah. And no one believes that they achieved that kind of jump for no particular reason and that it had nothing to do with COVID, nor that it was sustainable after COVID. So the companies that really benefited, that those are even more challenging because then. You got to try to figure out how much of a COVID bump, as we say on on Wall Street, did the company achieve?
0: How much is sustainable? And how much is one time? So it's tough. And and so that's a kind of a, you got to sharpen your pencils on that one and just take your best shot, I guess.
1: You you, got to do a lot of additional diligence, which, which
0: is consistent
1: for us, because again, we're buying companies that have a little bit more complexity than others, but you, you definitely need to do some additional work around that. And you, you've got to triangulate. There, there, there's no simple answer. you got to triangulate, try to get to the right place, try to get the seller comfortable that you're being fair and thoughtful. The lenders need to do the same thing. You need to be aligned with your lenders. So they're lending on the same EBITDA that you're buying on. So it definitely has added a layer of complexity. And then you got to do it
0: remotely. <laughs> Yeah. So, there's plenty of balls in the air there. Well, Mark, talking about COVID, how did your firm sort of navigate the crisis? Because there was a lot of work that private equity firms had to do. They had to make sure their portfolio companies had enough money on their balance sheets. Maybe they had to do a little adjustments to their debt structure and things like that. So, tell us about what Sun Capital did. Sure.
1: Although we're mainly buying healthier businesses and growing industries, the good to greats I've talked about, We do have a 26-year history of buying heavily distressed businesses. So we're pretty well experienced and equipped to manage in a crisis. In this case, it was the pandemic. So as soon as it was obvious first quarter that this was not going to be limited to China or Wuhan province, and it was uh, spreading throughout the world, we batted down our hatches and we did it very quickly. Uh, And it wasn't easy because you had management teams, for the most part that had never seen a pandemic, of course, but they'd never seen a a severe industry downturn, something that we've lived through with a lot of our portfolio companies. So we really had to convince our portfolio management because they're the ones who are executing. We're, We're there to coach and advise, play devil's advocate, be sounding boards, but it's up to our management team to run their businesses. So we had to convince them that Maybe things are not as dire as we're telling you they may be, but you've got to plan for the worst, even if you're hoping for the best. And that is the key in any kind of distressed investing, whether it's an individual company that's going through a difficult time or the whole world that's facing the pandemic. So we we convinced our portfolio management teams to assume the absolute worst for all of 2020 and 2021 plan accordingly, You know, take care of your people financially, take care of your people from a safety point of view. But there's an old adage, in order to finish first, you have to first finish. So we had to make sure all our portfolio companies made it through the pandemic. Obviously, with our fund structure, we have the ability to provide capital if they were needed. And we did in a few cases. Some of our retail and restaurant companies, there was just no way they could make it through the pandemic without financial support. We had companies that generated zero dollars of revenues last April. Zero. Can you imagine a business that's making, you know, 40, 50 million a month in revenues going to zero?
0: That's incredible.
1: It's incredible. So we had to make sure they made it through it. We had to work with our lenders. But because we're pretty good in in a downturn, our companies were all very sound and solid and well-supported by their lenders literally by April. It took us a month. And that was with 35 companies all over the world. But the great thing is that allowed us to then play offense. And we tried to buy this company, Mancini's, back in 2019. Couldn't quite come to terms with the seller. Second generation, really a great person who built a very nice business. But come April, actually March, he was required to close all of his stores.
0: And he has a betting store, right?
1: It's exactly the same as Mattress Firm or Dreams in the UK that we just spoke about. They had 33 stores selling mattresses and bedroom furniture, all in the Bay Area. And the Bay Area is one of the first to shut down and to put in place lockdown or or stay-at-home laws. So their revenues went to almost zero. They still had rent to pay. They still had management team members to pay, utilities. They were bleeding a lot of cash. And we came along and spoke to the owner and said, we're still in a transact can't be at the same price as 2019 because they're losing money every month. And we had to factor that in. But we came up with a fair price and structure. The seller rolled, so they still have a a material minority ownership position in the business. And then once things were allowed to reopen, we worked with the team to reopen stores, rehire people, retrain them. We've built an e-commerce business that didn't exist for them, digital marketing. And with our assistance, 2021 will be a record year of their EBITDA, of their profitability. The highest profitability in their history, even pre-COVID. And that's despite the fact that their stores have still been running at limited capacity and with far less traffic because people will have been nervous. And private equity, as we discussed before, doesn't get a lot of credit on Main Street. But if it wasn't for us, and it was pretty gutsy to write a big you know, check in the middle of COVID with all the stores closed, I don't know that the company would still be there. And I don't know if all those jobs would be saved or if that would be part of the unemployment issue that exists today. And now that stores are open and they're having a good year, we're going to open seven stores this year. That's more stores than they've opened in any three years before. And think about how many more jobs that is and how many landlords who've got empty store fronts who will now have a strong, viable tenant. And because this was done in the middle of a pandemic, we did this as an all-equity deal. There was zero debt So again, I think private equity firms do act responsibly. They are thoughtful about things like that. And yes, the occasional deal does go the wrong way. And again, it could be private equity, a public company, or family-owned business. But then it's always, oh, these guys use all this leverage. Well, we didn't use any.
0: Well, I have to say that you're, you know, you come across as a very plain-spoken person, but also very intelligent at the same time. You know, so you're you're a good communicator, and you don't really talk in a lot of technical language a lot of the time. So it's, I, I got to compliment you on that front because you're pretty easy to understand and, and that's, that, that helps you in your deal-making, I'm sure.
1: Well, I, I very much appreciate the compliment. I would say our whole firm, our culture is that we are down to earth. We're very direct, very transparent. We have our mission statement and values right on our website. We have it in every conference room, in a poster, everyone's desk with a loose site. And part of it is no arrogance honor and respect everyone. And it's kind of just Roger and I, my co-founder.
0: Those are our personalities. So, Mark, we're kind of getting to the end of the interview, but I wanted to ask you a little bit more about Sun Capital's relatively new direction towards tech with the Exidel deal in March. Uh, Give us a rundown on that. I know Sun Capital has been doing tech deals for a long time, but this is one that's kind of a reflection of your new focus on tech.
1: Sure. Well, as you mentioned, technology. We did our first technology deal in 1999, but after a several-year search, found this outstanding individual to lead our dedicated tech effort and closed our first deal under her leadership in March. It's a company that provides outsourced services. Give us the name Exadel.
0: Well, Exidel, okay.
1: Exidel. They're in the Bay Area. It was started by really an amazing entrepreneur. And we help our large blue-chip clients outsource the digitization of their businesses. The industry is growing 17 to 20% per year. And what made this an interesting sum capital deal, because it was healthy, growing, profitable, is the CEO wanted to retire. So, how many private equity firms will buy a healthy, growing business where the CEO wants to retire? But we were willing to do so and work with him on it. And the other thing was: although the industry was growing 70 to 20%, this business was only growing about 10 to or 12%. Ordinarily, you would say that's great growth. But if it's only two-thirds of industry growth, it means they're actually losing market share. They had no real go-to-market strategy. They didn't have a CRM. They had a very limited sales force. All their growth was based on providing outstanding quality work to their customers. It was all word of mouth and growing share of wallet. But when you do that good a job for your clients, you need to screen that message in the streets and get new customers and that's what we're working on the team to do we're adding sales putting a crm in and again we're creating jobs we're building the business there's nothing to cut there's nothing to close it's all growth
0: okay well mark leader co CEO, and co-founder of sun capital partners thanks for taking the time to talk about your deals your perspective on private equity and a bit about the marketplace today. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks, Steve. This is Steve Jelsey with Behind the Bias.